You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. I can't remember when you looked at me and cried. Said something broke inside of you. My best friend. Whatever come my way, you know I'm yours until the end. When I finally go away, When you're on Music Biz 101 and more live on WPA 8.7 FM, you're on the campus of William Patterson, New Jersey. I just realized we don't have an editor. We don't need one because... Oh, we need one. Really? But we don't have an editor. You don't like this no one, off-the-cuff we stuff We have we're no doing. boss. Or if we do, we don't even know who it is. I think the Music Biz is the boss. What does it say on your check? Uh, it, it says, uh, pay to the order of Esteban Marconi. <laughs> it says nothing, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. So we are. Music Biz 101 and more yes. live. Wednesday, Wednesday October. Rocktober. That's right. What's today's date? 19. 19, Rocktober 19. Right. And I will give a giveaway today. All right. To the second tweet who can tell us who birthday it is, who rock and roll all-star of all time has a birthday today and the second tweet will win a bruno mars t-shirt so let's get that tweet to at music biz 101 wp yes send it out now wake up and speaking of birthdays we should mention by the way i'm professor david kirk Frope. that's Esteban marconi yes and we have a special student co-host with us tonight and it's her birthday his her name is joelle Filippi. let's say happy birthday to joelle Filippi. yes happy birthday happy and birthday, we now joelle. are allowed to sing the Thank actual you. song aren't we yeah we it's PB. warner we gave could, that's right warner yeah. gave it up it was nice of them to just voluntarily here we don't right. want this song anymore we'd like to give it to the people that's exactly very true. democratic of, of them to do and so joelle's someone who <laughs> tweets in joelle will not win the shirt correct oh, joelle's not, not the answer somebody else's rock <laughs> and roll birthday and right. we also want to give thanks to producer Jess Frank, who mm -hmm. is working the board for us tonight. Thank you, Jess Frank. Hi. So happy to have you here. Right. So happy to be here. Oh, it's best. Don't Let Love Down was the song at the top of the show. Rob Fusari, our good friend. We have a guest who is calling in, and we're going to have him on the air in a few moments. We'll invite him to speak shortly. But we want you to go sign up for our newsletter, Music Biz with a Z, 101WP.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, The Fist of the Book. At Music Biz 101 WP, and you'll be able to listen to this and all of our shows on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher because it's a podcast. Should we give thanks, Dr. Esteban Marconi? I think we ought to. We ought to give thanks to the Music Biz Association. Please, please, please save the date for May 15th through the 18th, the year of our Lord 2017, when Music Biz goes to the Music Biz in Music City. We will be in Nashville with a whole slew of music business students. Looking forward to it. It's going to be great. We want to thank in advance Jim Donio and the Music Biz Association for helping us out and supporting that. Trip. Yes. We want to give thanks to Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. 
with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's management, business management. Yes. And that is vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we should doubly give thanks to Aaron Van Dyne of the Van Dyne portion of Van Dyne Bruno, because Aaron Van Dyne is the one who hooked us up with our guest tonight. Correct. We're very excited about that. We should also give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Oi Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals all over the world manage their investments and plan out their retirement. If you or I or Joel, happy birthday, are looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, please, please, please give Christine a call at 7... Repeat after me, Joelle. 732. 732. 455. 455. 1510. As we wait, I bet you he can hear us. Okay, now try it. Michael McDonald. I'm right here. There we are. Ah. Notice how we have not made one joke so far. You've only been on the air for ten seconds. I've not made one taken it to the streets joke. No, I'm gonna be there, baby. Yeah, I've, we we should have we should have opened the show with that, and uh, I right. should have asked your assistant Madison if that would have been cool or not. Yet I brought it up anyway, so we'll never That's know. That's right. We'll never hey, know. I, can we go back to your your the intro your intro jingle? Yes. I think you guys need management. <laughs> <laughs> that was like perfect pitch, professor, double professor, perfect pitch. Yeah. I got a. I, I work I very know, hard. I don't know how you've lived under the radar for this long. Well, that's why we have people like you on the show, Michael McDonald, so that you can help foster the growth of someone like I or Dr. Stephen Marconi to to make us find that special place in the world of music for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I, it's good. I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, sometimes you walk into a bar and you see the greatest band you've ever seen, and I just called into a radio show, and I think I've... Yeah. Heard the voice of the next generation. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's pretty much what it is. What we agree with you, Michael. So uh, we'll talk tomorrow about the meetings you can set up for us uh, about etc. 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 We'll we'll tell you which record company we desire to sign and no 360 deals or all that. And get on it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Why do well, I'll give the bio real quick and then Stephen, you will begin the third degree of sure. Michael McDonald. Okay. Sure. Just briefly, uh, Michael McDonald was the tour manager for Dave Matthews Band for six years. Then he got off the road, co-founded ATO Records with uh, Dave Matthews and Corin Capshaw. And who was the fourth person, Michael? Chris Tetzelli. Chris Tetzelli. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And then he formed his own management company called Mick Management, which you can find at mickmanagement.com. And then in, uh, so he did that in 2008, and Mick Management represents uh, Ray LaMontagne, Walk the Moon, Brett Denon, Deer Tick, uh, Childish Gambino, many, many others. It's actually a very cool uh, list of artists who you have. So mm -hmm. we appreciate you. Again, we want to thank Aaron Van Dyne for hooking us thank up you. with you. And yeah. Stephen Marconi and is great. going to yeah. take over. So I th I'd like to thank Aaron Van Dyne for helping me make sure my taxes get paid. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, uh, I read um, Portuguese major and a Latin history major in college. Exactly. Then 
to the well, music business? The, yeah, that's the obvious path. Uh, yeah, why don't you explain that to us then? <laughs> um, it was it was not by design, but I think it was the first um, uh, the first place that fate played a significant role in my life. Where I, I was at University of Wisconsin, it was pre cell phone, pre internet, and I was registering for my classes, and I could not get a Spanish class that fit into my schedule. So I decided to take Portuguese, <laughs> and um, I fell in love with the language. And then um, my third year in school, I lived in Brazil for about 13 months. And when I came back from that, I uh, was told that I could have a double major if I just took a couple, couple classes in my senior year. So, what do you know? I wound up with a double major in Portuguese and Latin American history. Mm-hmm. Um, and six years into my tour management days with Dave Matthews, we toured Brazil. And so we came full circle and suddenly my degree made sense. <laughs> my parents were so proud. Wow. Um, so what happened well, in your senior year that, that uh, I guess you decided not to pursue those two, uh, whatever occupation those two majors would have brought right. to you? Right. Well, I was in a, I was in bands in high school and college, and then um, I, at, upon graduation, my uh, my aspirations were to live with one one of my brothers. One was in Mexico City, one was in Washington D.C. So I flipped a coin, as you do with your life, mm-hmm. and uh, Washington D.C. won. So I went and lived with my brother there, and um, my aspirations were to be a bike messenger and a songwriter. <laughs> And I never was a bike messenger, but I was a songwriter and a bartender. Um, and figured I would give myself a couple years to see if I was a good songwriter. And about a year and a half into my two years, I saw Dave Matthews, um, you know, his, I think it was his first show in DC. It was an after hours bar with, a, you know, 150 people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw him and realized I really was not good enough. <laughs> I was far from good enough as a songwriter. Right. Um, so I decided I was going to leave town, move to Chicago, where I'm from. And um, but in the interim, I went to, before I moved. I went and was just a grunt on uh, for John Alasia when he went to record Dave Matthews' first album, which was a live album in Nantucket. And um, I met the guys, we got along, and their merch guy at the time was a junior in college. He had to go back and finish school. So I offered my services for free, and um, that was the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> that was that. I mean, I, the, that was it. Then how did you get to be his road manager or tour manager for? Well, at the, at the time, it was you know, there were four of us on the road with um, the five members of the band, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of all hands on deck. Everyone did what they whatever they could do. I played guitar, so logically, I became the merch guy and the guitar tech. Yeah, um, and then the guy that was the tour manager. One day, just handed me a, a 
wad of money and a bunch of receipts and said, I don't think I'm cut out for this anymore. So that was how I became the tour manager. <laughs> he uh, went into the lighting design, Fenton, and is still their lighting designer and the lighting designer for many other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone kind of played to their strengths. And so yeah. as things grew um, and Alex uh, came back from school, he became the merch guy, still is the merch guy today. And, you know, we brought in another guitar tech, so I was able to just focus on tour management. And I did that, um, you know, for about six years. And then I realized I didn't want to be on the road forever. Mm -hmm. So um, Dave and I talked about starting a record label together. His manager, Corn and Chris Tetzeli, who worked in his office, were also talking about a label. So the four of us did it together. Mm -hmm. And... um, so out of the spare bedroom of my Manhattan apartment, um, where my wife and our roommate lived, <laughs> very New York, yeah. uh, right. we started ATO Records. And the first record we put out at ATO was David Gray's White Ladder, <clears throat> which mm-hmm. went gangbusters. Yeah. And we all looked at each other and thought, what's so hard about this? and you had distribution Um, through whom at that time we had we went uh we had distribution through rca Mm -hmm. pmg at the time uh which is where dave still right yeah um and so we got a deal through that we had a distribution deal through them and then once it picked up steam to a point where you know one guy in a bedroom and one guy in charlottesville in an office couldn't handle it we we wound up partnering with RCA on the David Gray record mm-hmm. um, because you need at a certain point you need that big staff and that infrastructure to to get things to the next level so we did that and um, you know those were the days where I remember getting the call right before the holidays one year that we were going to do about 110,000 records that week mm. so it was exciting a hell of an education for sure um and then while all that was going on the john alasia again came to me with a young guy named john Mayer who said um this guy's good and he wanted to meet you to see if you want to manage him and so i thought well sure i can't you know i'll try management so i had the label and uh had john at the same time Hmm. And then John started to blow up, and then I figured I needed some help. So moved out of the bedroom and started hiring people. And that's kind of how both companies, you know, my management company was born and how ATO Records was born. So you were dealing, though, I guess, as tour manager, you were dealing with Corin on almost on a daily basis. For oh, those. yeah, on multiple so you, so you learned or you osmosisized uh, yeah. management from a great manager no yeah, no question yeah. I mean I, I I refer to it as, as my PhD course yeah um, you know it was in fact I, I remember having a conversation with my dad about four years into my five years into tour management when um, my friends were getting out of business school and law school and <laughs> um, I, I was kind of lamenting the fact that I just started getting nervous, and he said, "Look, you're in, you're in your, um, you're in your post grad study right now, you know. And when you're ready to graduate from that, you will." Huh. 
and yeah, I mean, I lucked into, you know, a really yeah, um, incredible band um, that worked so hard that I never had to take another job. That's yeah, and he and he toured constantly. Yeah, I mean, Dave, that's what he's known. Yep, Look, and hey, hey you know, Michael, can I just jump in real quick? Yeah, just because you mentioned, you know, you lucked in, lucked into it, but you must have also—they didn't just keep you on board as a tour manager for eight years just because, you know, you had a nice name. No. I mean, you you must have worked your tail off as well. Yeah. So the lucky was, break was the the introduction, but then you made it happen after that. Right. I, I mean, and that's you know, I've I've talked to people a lot, or you know, people always talk about the role of luck in their life, and I think two things happened. Um, you know, I met Dave and the guys at, in Nantucket. We hung out. We got along. Um, you know, the fact that Alex was leaving for school and there was an opening was lucky. Mm -hmm. um, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and my brother said, well, if you really want to do it, we'll pay your student loans until you start getting paid, but tell them you'll do it for free. Because um, they knew how badly I wanted the job. So and that was a place where... There was a lucky break. Yeah. And what you do with that lucky break, you know, determines whether or not it makes a difference. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, you also had such a great support system, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um, and then, you know, the fact that that it was Corin who was the manager, um, you know, was a fantastic opportunity. Um you know, in that he kind of defined the way, you know, a large part of the way modern touring works. And so to have that band, um, you know, and that manager, um, you know, who had enough faith in me to let me grow in the role, um, you know, it was kind of the perfect storm. And, and that's, you know, of the four of us that started together in the van, um, three of them are still on the road with the band. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that band has such a unique um, operation, um, you know, for that to be the template of my foundation, um, you know, his yeah. gift. Yeah. Aaron says they call uh, Dave the socialist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it, I mean, it's a really, you know, I think any organization that you um, find yourself in that's comfortable it, you know it, it, it starts at the top and works its way down and mm -hmm. you know those guys set an example and Dave sets an example that you know you can do this and not be a complete jerk you can be really successful and not be a, a jerk or an authoritarian you know a dictator mm -hmm. um, and so it's you know I think that's what's really helped the band but also the crew all stay together and think of it much more as a it's much more of a family than a job yeah yeah so did you um when you jumped into management and moved beyond music to actors as well uh did you feel you you were prepared for that or was that a sort of learning on the job um well we you know our work with childish gambino is primarily on the on the music side uh -huh. he does, he's got an, an acting team that you know we coordinate schedules with but um you know 
that for him specifically, I would I, I don't do most of his acting. Right. Like, I do think there are a lot of parallels, and if the opportunity came, I would certainly work with an actor. Um, I'm also not afraid to ask questions, you know, to get the answers that I don't know offhand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <clears throat> I think the parallels are, you know, knowing how to act around or relate to creative people, artists, and you know, the fundamentals of negotiation and scheduling and, and all that kind of stuff, I think there's a lot of similarities. There's, not, there's different players, um, you know, and I don't know the studio world as well as I know the record world, but again, um, you know, if you don't know, you ask questions and don't be too proud to say that you don't know. But a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of well-respected managers that have, you know, that also uh, are involved in film and, and I mean, hell, there's there's managers managing soccer players and you know yeah. athletes from. Yeah, that's why we call it the entertainment company, uh, the entertainment industry now. Right. Because it's so broad, and everyone now is getting into fashion, which is another. Who would have thought that that angle would have come in so strongly? Yeah, and I think you know, as as you're, what, you know, what I. Kind of how how I encapsulated my relationship, or how I describe management, is that I'm a small company representing small companies and cre- creating and building small companies. Mm-hmm. And whatever that brand or that artist demands is, is, you know, is different from every other one in person that you've managed. But also, you need to create that infrastructure for that specific act. And so, if it is fashion. Um, you know, you bring in people that have expertise in fashion. You know, I can't pretend to have expertise in everything, mm-hmm. but what I can do is I can manage a team, and I can represent the artists within that team. And I think that's, you know, that's the goal, is for, for me to help execute on an artist's vision for their entire career. Um, and that, if that includes music, film, fashion, you know, everything under the sun i'm going to i'm going to be able to bring bring that team together in conjunction with the artist but then help manage that team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we want to introduce you to joelle Filippi. it's her birthday and she's also our student co-host she would like to read a tweet to you if if that's okay with you happy birthday joelle thank you good job joelle thank you um so our tweet is from at caitlin spurdudo and she asks, what is one piece of advice slash a secret truth about being a manager that you wish you knew before going into the business hmm well i, I it's um take more psychology classes <laughs> <laughs> um no I, I you know there is it's a lot of interpersonal skills that you're that you're dealing with and you're dealing with creative people, artists. And, you know, if I were, if, if I would be an artist if I could be. I just don't think like an artist. But I appreciate creators immensely, in large part because I, 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 I tried and I realized how difficult it is and what a gift it is to be a creator. Um, and so understanding that great artists think differently than non-artists um, is fundamental and um, you know helping them 
helping helping execute their vision um, is the goal. And so every artist is different. There's no one path that works for everyone. Treating everyone, you know, as an individual, respectfully and charting the right course for them is, you know, is, is sometimes a challenge because it, it doesn't always make logical sense to the linear thinkers that, you know, non-creators are. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you need, to, you need to trust that vision because you believe in that artist. And, um, you know, I, I think there is a lot of learning as you go, and, and a lot of that happens with your first client. And, you know, under, under, it's not until you, you're, you have more than, your, you know, your second client that you realize that it's not one size fits all. But, again, the fundamentals of hard work, honesty, all that kind of stuff, those are the same, but the details change. Mm-hmm. But what I, you know, what I tell people when they, um, you know, when they ask how to get into the business, or you know, um, you know, what's what's the secret? You know, the secret is knowing that you want to be in the business, and then taking whatever opportunity you can get. And if that starts on your college concert committee, or that's taking tickets at the arena, or being a runner for a promoter, whatever it is, that, or working at a club in town, whatever it is that gets your foot in the door, take it, take that chance, and then, you know, then you need to. Then it's up to the person, the individual, to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. But it is a pretty small world, which is, which just means that if you if you do stay connected and, you know, utilize relationships, you're going to find your way into it. And you'll know a lot of people in it if you've been trying to get in it for a while. Uh, do you think going to law school helps in personal management? Um, it certainly wouldn't hurt uh, for some for some parts of it of the business, for sure. Um, you know, I was for a long time I was skeptical of music business programs. Mm-hmm. I just thought, having come from the road and not studied any of it. Um, I just thought, how can you learn any of this from not doing it? But I'm seeing more and more as we bring in interns and, you know, interview, um, you know, kids that are coming out of college that are from music business schools, um, that there is actually is a lot of value in it. And Mm -hmm. they come out certainly much better prepared than I was. Um, Certainly, I, I... wouldn't discourage my path um, to anyone, but I think you know I've come to really respect a lot of the a lot of the music programs that are out there, which we appreciate because you're actually helping our music business program because this well, becomes this becomes a podcast and then people get to hear it. Um, Steve Marconi and I just wrote a book that's coming out in January called Managing Your Band, and sixth, sixth edition. Sixth edition, yes, and. What you're talking about, all this is supplemental material for us as well. So it's a it's a big help. So good. Thank I'm you. happy to help. Uh, which uh, uh, reason why I asked that question about uh, attorneys, because it it had come across uh, many times in my teaching, and also I was an artist in the '70s, was that uh, sometimes the lawyers will think too much like a lawyer, and sort of um, discredit the 
creative guy thinking the whole other side of the coin. Right. Um, and sometimes it's it's better not to do that unless you're an attorney. You are the attorney with the artist and not the personal manager. Right. I, I, well, that's. I think that's a good example of one of the key functions of a personal manager is that oftentimes you, there's a buffer necessary between the artist and members of the team, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. label or publishing executives, um, <clears throat> lawyers, whomever, because it is a business. And so one side of what I have to do is represent the business side of things to those people and then, you know, explain the business side in different terms um, to the artist. And sometimes when they go, you know, when there's not a buffer, the terms just come out very, the conversations are very hard. Mm -hmm. You know, they're very, I don't think most artists want to create. And that's what I want to allow them is, is no. I want to provide them with the most creative space and time available. And when there is a time for a business conversation, at least have, have me have that business conversation because I know them better and I know, you know, kind of how, what they'll respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the importance of, of a law degree or, you know, maybe not even without a degree an important thing to study is, you know, copyright and intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And understanding, having an understanding of that would have been um, an asset because especially now, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer 10 tracks on a CD, mm. you know, and that's how we're being distributed. That's how we're, and we're being broadcast on, on the radio. We're so far beyond that yeah. that understanding what the actual intellectual property is in music from a business perspective um, is really helpful. And, you know, understanding that that's, that's what the, um, you know, that's the real product and, and that's what needs to be defended and monetized and all that kind of, you know, everything that goes along with it, all the non-creative aspects of it that's the intellectual property is the asset um and so having a good understanding of that i think is important mm-hmm. or some more and more as we you know stream and cast and every, download everything i think understanding that's a good place to start joelle has another tweet for you okay this one's from victoria rizzo and she asks, how do you balance your roster of artists? Does everyone get equal attention? What kind of team do you have to make it work? Um, that's a good, that's a, a good question. The, the balance of the roster is, you know, is the, the beauty of it is, is that I've never, I nor any of the managers that, that I work with have had to bring on clients to pay the bills um Mm. you know we started with successful clients that allowed us to build a roster full of artists with whom we really want to work and you know in whom we really believe and that we genuinely like as people 
and you know I think it's a different business to just pick up bands because they make money that's not you know that's not the business that that we're in we need to make money because we need to pay bills but I also am much happier waking up getting phone calls in the middle of the night from people that I like uh, people that I don't like that I'm just taking a check from Um, and so that's been a real benefit so in terms of you know going out and and kind of you know curating the roster it's it's a combination of liking the music liking the people thinking we can you know help um and then also really just having a basic understanding that the artist wants it as bad or more than we do because I've, I've had situations in the past where I wanted it more than the artist, and that's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I can line up all the opportunities and create all the opportunities uh, imaginable, but if, you, if the artist isn't able or doesn't want to put the work in um, to execute on all of those and to do all the things and take all the steps that are necessary to have success, I can't get on stage for them. And um, so... That's, you know, the criteria, A, number one, is that we like it, we believe in it, and we like the people. Um, and that's, that's a great, it, it is, it has been a great place from which to build out the roster. Um, in terms of the attention that we give, um, we give everyone, people, people get equal attention relative to, um, you know, what we want to do is make every act successful. And that doesn't mean stadiums for everyone. Um, every artist has a different plateau that they want to reach in their career. And we want to make sure that, that they get there and that they are the best and, and they are the best positioned for what they do. Mm. Each um, each artist has a manager, a day-to-day manager, um, and then access to our radio, um, our promotion person, uh, our digital team, our tour marketing team, and a, a strategic partnership um, team. And then, you know, we build out from there, depending on if they're on an indie or a major label, whether they are we're helping to hire an independent publicist or whether they're using an in-house publicist at a, at a label. Um, everyone gets the attention that they need, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, we keep it right now, um, I think we're at about 20 acts and we've got about 20 people at the office. We easily could be at 40 acts, um, but we say no a lot more than we say yes. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why is, I can't, I, I'm not going to promise the world to an act that I know I don't have time to promise the world to. Um, and so we keep things at a manageable size so that we are able to service them to the level that we believe necessary. One thing you brought up a minute ago, a couple of minutes ago, was uh, the hard work factor. That always blows me away because you're not the first person who said that Julie Greenwald was here, president of Atlantic Records, right. a year and a half ago. And she brought up the same thing, that there are some artists who just don't want to work as hard as the label would like them to work, right. which, which shocks me that anybody who gets the opportunity to either 
be on a label, major label, any label, or get actual managed personal management would not work hard. It, it, right. it I, I cannot believe that those people mm-hmm. out there, but obviously you've been through that more than once, I assume. Absolutely. Gone are the days where, you know, rock band gets manager, manager gets record deal, <laughs> and manager just screams at label. <laughs> um, like and rock band smokes pot, drinks beer, and goes on tour. Yeah, gets higher all the time. Those, right. <laughs> those days are gone. Um, you know, it is, there's just too much to do to for anyone to sit back. You know, artists are expected to have, you know, a social, um, you know, it's kind of a social network where they're creating content for their fans. Um, managers have, you know, I, I think the management um, label relationship is, has become much more of a partnership than it was when the major label deal was the holy grail. Mm-hmm. And once you got it, you just sat back and, like I said, screamed and, you know, made stuff happen. Um, it's much more of a partnership. And everyone has to be pulling in the same direction. And there are some artists who, you know, whether they've read too many, you know, <laughs> biographies about artists, about, you know, artists from the 70s who just hung mm-hmm. back or... I don't know what it is. Some people just don't want it as badly as other people. And so, um, you know, there is, it's, when you get in full swing of the hit single, it is nonstop. And it is things changing on a regular basis because opportunities are coming up that you need to be available to take advantage of. And, you know, for Walk the Moon, for example, they were the hardest working act. Um, you know, that I had worked with before they had the hit. When they had the hit um, on the last album, Shut Up and Dance, it was off to the races. And there were, you know, one-day trips to Europe. There were, you know, insane flights to, you know, different parts of the country to, to take advantage of a television appearance. There was, you know, there were tour dates that, oh, there's a day off here. You know, you're off in Toledo that day. Instead of Toledo, let's fly to L.A., shoot the video, take the red eye back to Toledo. You can sleep before sound check, sleep after sound check to make sure that you play that show in Toledo that night. Mm-hmm. There are things that you can't put on the calendar because you don't know when those opportunities are going to happen. And if you don't have the work ethic uh, to take advantage of those opportunities, you know, you can have a, a you know, you could, you become a one-hit wonder where you have no foundation, um, and you just you know did kind of half the stuff you needed to do around that hit single, and then you're kind of one and done. Mm-hmm. Like what you need to do with an artist when they when they do have success, you know you need to build a foundation while you capitalize on the success simultaneously, and that takes a lot of work, and you know there's a lot of hurry up and wait for video shoots or photo shoots or television appearances or interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not all glamorous. What I try to do is just make sure that those are successful, that everything we do is, 
you know, is, is a success. And so whether it's the live show after a lot of crazy travel, you know, I make sure that they get as much rest as possible. Sometimes that's only a couple hours. But then do what I can down the road to make sure that they get, you know, that they catch up. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that's all is the ones that are lazy are grounds for you to drop them as clients as well. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you say, look, I, this isn't, you know, this isn't working for either of us because we have different expectations. And if you think that this is going to happen just by me, you know, making phone calls and pushing people and forcing people and twisting arms, it's not. You need to be a participant in your own career. And, you know, if I'm more active in your career than you are, then it's not working. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that you brought up in terms of how things have changed is is actually the structure of Mick management because you mentioned you have a social media person, you have a radio person. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about your infrastructure and how you're kind of making up for what the labels used to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, you know, back to the <laughs> back to the glory days, you know. You used to sign to a record label and, you know, it was one manager on the phone and screaming at the record label to do everything else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, largely because the, the, the label business has changed, um, you know, they don't have those resources to, that, that go as far as they used to. So there's fewer people doing more work. That work still has to be done. Um, and so what we have done in the last, you know, eight years is to, to we look more like a label than some of our labels. Um, the only thing we don't have in-house is press, and I just have a fundamental belief on that, that I can't have any one press person that's going to feel as passionately about one band as they do about, you know, every other band. And I, I've seen it. I've seen it happen enough. Um, to know I'm right, where a passionate publicist um, can move the needle. Mm. One person, and there's not many facets of a career where one person can move the needle. But I've seen publicists get after it because they just live and breathe an artist. And I want to be able to put the right publicist with each one of my acts. And so we don't have publicity in-house, but we do have like you said, I've got you know a three-person digital team, um, a tour marketing person, a brand partnership person, a radio person, um, because you know if, if I have major label radio staffs on a lot of my acts, it's nice for me to have a, a, a person in-house who can talk to them um, and kind of boil things down to me so that. Um, you know, it's it's a more concise conversation with my person. It's not to say I don't talk to the label people, but it's just helpful to have our person in there as an advocate for the artist as well. But I do think, you know, most management companies, you know, look more like record labels used to. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So it's just it's it's as the times change. I mean, I think those people that you know only have one person and expect the label to do the rest um you know in some instances it works i don't i haven't seen it work 
Joel has another tweet for you. Okay, this one's from Kevin Juba. He asks, after experiencing both sides of it, what are some of the differences between being a tour manager and a personal manager? That's another good question. Um, you know, I think as a, um, you know, as a tour manager, it's really about, um, you know, trying to successfully get the band from one place to another as comfortably um, and as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, you don't have, it's, it's a different perspective. You're dealing with, um, your vantage point is from the ground um, as a tour manager. And as a manager, you have, you know, the 20,000 foot view where you're trying to move the pieces into place and, you know, you really count on your tour manager to help you on a tough travel day, on a bad show night, on, you know, a, a, a driver who takes you to the wrong address, all those little things. You really count on them to help you keep the band in a, in a, in a good mindset. Um, there's only so much, I mean, I, I try to spend as much time on the road in part because I love it, but also because I, I it's important to spend time on the road with people, um, you know, but I can't be at every show every night. And so I really count on the tour managers to, you know, be kind of an extension of me out there representing the band and, you know, taking care of the band the way that they need to and the way that I would take care of them. Um, but it's a difference in perspective. I think your, your life on the ground is much, on, on tour is much more immediate and you're dealing with, you know, everything that's, that comes at you on a, on a minute-by-minute basis. On the management side, you're dealing, um, you know, kind of from a different vantage point, thinking about how the year is going to be, um, you know, while tour managers are just trying to get through the day. We, um, in terms of commissions, we usually uh, teach the class that it's a, a percentage on gross with uh many deductions so it's not necessarily net but i've heard many different terms of gross on net net on net and so on but we probably try to teach that certainly uh manager today uh the expenses of the road are taken off before the uh, commission uh, before the commission is uh figured out or figured is that more or less true um yeah, I mean, there's there's a million ways to to skin that cat. There are, you know, I think I think there there are um, different deals for different stages of careers, where, you know, early on, you know, oftentimes we don't we're not commissioning a band a new, you know, a new band mm. for a year or two, um, and that's an investment on our part. But it also doesn't make any sense to, you know, if the band's not making money, I have a tough time justifying us making any money. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but when things do get get moving, I think there's there's once there's success, it's still the same amount of work. Um, but you know, the more people that go on the road, et cetera, I think you make adjustments accordingly. But 
I mean, I've heard there, there are a lot of gross deals out there. I mean, not to say that they're bad. I'm saying <laughs> gross versus net. Um, you know, those are still out there, certainly. Um, but I think we, you know, we take a pretty um, liberal view in terms of, or I should say generous view um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, if you're making money, we'll make money, but we're not going to do that until you're in the black. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have another tweet for you. We have a lot of, we have a couple programs here. We have a music business program. We also have a popular music program in which there are a number of students here going. It's sort of an academic, but also partial performance program. And obviously having somebody like you on, we get a number of tweets about this question. Okay, this is from Christina Rigg. Um, she asks, what is the best advice you can give an artist trying to make it in the business? Hmm. What I've seen more recently is that um, is artists looking for management before they need it. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've years ago, you know, on, on maybe one or two occasions, I got involved with people that actually didn't need management at the time. And oftentimes, what it does is it it allows the artist to sort of take their foot off the gas and expect a manager to do more and as I said earlier for them to become less of a participant in their career um, my recommendation is always write and perform as much as you can and if you're having success you will, you will be found and um, you know there are you know talking about the, the structure of record companies um, changing the way that that A&R people find acts has changed dramatically. Um, you know there are still showcases and that kind of thing for labels, but those are those usually come after there being some reaction online, and whether it's you know if people have that labels have you know MBAs and and engineers from MIT in their research departments now, um, crunching data and putting together algorithms to figure out, you know, for things to sort of pop up when, uh, when they show any, any sort of momentum or growth online. So I think from an artist's perspective, write and perform and also create and uh, sort of establish your voice um, and not just your singing voice, your online voice and your, you know, someone like Leon Bridges. Um, before Leon had anything going on, on, the, on the, in the mainstream, he had established his voice um, through Instagram. It was all black and white photos. They were him, you know, he had a certain style dress but his photos were beautiful and consistent and you 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 had an idea um and there was a level of intrigue about him just based on the photos and that's an extreme example but it's it's you know it's extreme and it's genius um that that was someone who he got a manager you know we got involved at the right time he had already done all of that legwork um, 
and you know it was a lot of adding fuel to the fire there one thing I don't think a man well at least my style of management we can't define your voice we can't define the artist's voice we can't define who they want to be they need to know that coming into the relationship and so for artists that are trying to get noticed and, and you know just starting their careers I think knowing who you are is the most important thing you can do finding out who you are before you get a management company before you start worrying about record deals and publishing deals and and all that kind of thing and that just comes from writing and figuring you know getting your sound together but then also by performing and are you going to be a performer that makes the audience a big part of their show or are you going to be a performer that you know is a little less talkative on stage but you know lets everything come through in the performance all of those things are um are really important and that's not to say it won't evolve over your career but i think having a strong sense of who you are um and having a body of work um that's you know that you feel represents you is the most important thing you can do all right that's great that's a yeah. very thorough answer and it covered a whole lot of things right there so we want to thank you for that. We uh, need to start wrapping it up, Michael McDonald of Mick Management, M-I-C-K-M-G-M-T.com. So should we start thanking you, Michael? <laughs> it shouldn't take long. It's been my pleasure. Okay, let's, let's begin. Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald of Mick Management. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, let's also give thanks to Madison Dickey, your assistant, Absolutely. who helped put this whole thing together. And after you had called in, she actually did send an email over saying, just want to make sure everything's going okay. So she sounds like somebody who's really got it going on. So thank you to her. She's on her A game. On. Yeah, she, she brought her A game tonight, Michael, just like you well, did. Well, she keeps me, uh, she certainly keeps me organized and keeps me busy. So well, cool. All, right. all you can ask for. Well, thank you again, Michael. We appreciate all your answers and uh, hope to have you on again someday. Yeah, well, it's been my pleasure, and, and I think it's a great thing you guys are doing. Great. great. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. One more time. Michael Thank McDonald. You. Thank you, Michael McDonald. Thank you both. Thanks. Paul, Irene, happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> and, uh... We want to thank Jess Frank for doing a wonderful job producing. We want to thank Joelle Filippi for being here on her birthday. Marconi's sticking out his finger. Do you want me to pull on it? What is No the, winner. We had one person guess, and they guessed Joan Jett. Joan Jett's birthday is this coming Saturday. Oh. So it was the incorrect answer. Do you want to give the answer of the birthday question? Who shares a birthday with yes, Joelle Filippi? Yes, maybe we could do this next week with another birthday. Okay. But this was the uh, perennial greatest one of the greatest rock and roll stars, the folk poet of the 50s, Chuck Berry. Mr. Chuck. Is 90 today. Happy birthday, Chuck. Yes. Chucky, be good. So, uh, Stabon Marconi was good tonight. Next week we have John all Butler, the way from Nashville. All the way from Nashville, Tennessee, John Butler, VP Promo, radio promo for uh, Curb Records. An alum. An alum. That's going to be great. So, thank you, John. And I'm... Um, in advance, and thank you, Esteban Marconi. We appreciate you being here, Esteban. And, of Stavon. course, my co-host, David Kirk Philp. Who is I. And, of course, at the end of every show, we do not say hello. That would be silly. Instead, at the end of every show, we say our favorite word, and that word is Joelle. Is it adios? Adios! <laughs> you know that I'm around. Yeah. No.